0: humbled and extremely grateful that God led Bev and myself to be part of this fellowship so many years ago. I think it was 43 years ago now that Bev and I walked down this aisle together on the way out after getting married. This church has been a a huge part of our life. Of course it's been part of Bev's life even longer than that and I won't tell you how long because she wouldn't want me saying that. But um, she's been here her, her whole life and You have all been our primary supporting church for our career over in Africa, which I'm extremely grateful to all of you for that. It's interesting, when I was thinking about what to share this morning, I wanted to start with with just a very short little story about an experience I had as a pilot a number of years ago, and I was rising up in in the morning uh, on the wings of our airplane. And it's funny that it's exactly, it's this one experience that I had that I've remembered all my life that goes right along with what the psalmist was talking about this morning as David was reading that. As I rise on the wings of the morning, you're there. I had this experience a number of years ago in Central Africa Republic. That's in the center of Africa. It's quite aptly named the Central Africa Republic. I was flying by myself after dropping some missionaries off there had about an 1100-mile flight going back to our home in Nairobi, Kenya. We'd be crossing over CAR, over the Congo, over Uganda, and then back to Kenya. It was going to be a fun day because the the weather was beautiful. We wake up there because it's two hours different than Nairobi. We had to wake up quite early to be able to fly back and land in Nairobi before nightfall. And as I took off in the morning, it it was a calm morning. I'm taking off, and just before sunrise. So as I'm climbing out, the sun is just cresting over the Africa savanna, out um, on the horizon. And because in Africa they burn their fields quite a bit, there's a lot of dust in the air, and it's a bright orange orb just coming up out of the jungle. And the the green jungle there, the Aturi forest, is the second largest rainforest in the world. Beautiful trees, 200 foot trees, and as I'm climbing out because of the the coolness of the morning over all of the rivers, there was like a a cloud or fog snaking out over all of the rivers. And I thought to myself, climbing out and and just seeing this, with the Africa savanna, with the sun coming up right next to me, putting an orange glow on everything, and these ribbons of white snaking off into the horizon, I said, this is just an amazing sight, and yet I'm a little disappointed because I don't have a great memory. In fact, when I was a uh, general manager of Amir, it, it used to be a joke among the, the old pilots to go and tell the new pilots that when Jim comes up to talk to you, he's gonna probably call you by somebody else's name, but just roll with it because after a few years, he'll start getting it right. But I thought to myself this morning, as I looked down and, and saw the world below me in this different light, I, I prayed, God, let me remember this moment please blaze this upon my memory and let me remember this moment and God has answered that prayer and I never thought that it would be something that would correlate quickly with what's going on this morning at Calvary Church. I wanted to talk about the love of God and this is something that all of us have learned about, we've heard about, probably every time we're in church there's probably something about the love of God being spoken about in the sermons and yet Sometimes, like in that flight, I'd seen the jungle, I'd seen the rivers, I've seen fog, and I've seen thousands of sunrise over over the last 38 years in Africa, but it all came together in a way that allowed me to remember it from a different perspective. I hope this morning that I might be able to communicate some of my thoughts and observations about the love of God in a way that might allow us to walk away from here and remember this a little bit different. Peter in Second Peter was telling his readers, I know that all of you know these things, but I'm going to remind you about them again, because it's good for us to continually remind us of these things so that we never forget it. Allow me that privilege this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word, and I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, would you, would you be heard and not me? And would you be glorified this morning in the things that we're going to think about and talk about that relate to how you love us, how we are to love others, and how we are, most importantly, to love you. Father, please allow us to be able to interpret your scripture correctly so that you would be glorified with your words this morning. And thank you for bringing us to this point where we could share these things together. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Bev and I went out 38 years ago to Africa after being commissioned here in this church and you sent out us out as your ambassadors, as your representatives, and as your partners to East Africa. I went out at that time as a pilot. We didn't know how long we were going to be staying. We didn't know if it was going to be four years or 14 years. We never thought it would be close to 40 years. And this last year we had a unusual experience of celebrating my 65th birthday, which is a little bit of a milestone because in Kenya they are under a European regulation authority that says that once a pilot reaches 65, he can no longer fly as a pilot in the airplanes in Kenya anymore. And I hit that mark on June 11th. And that was a little bit of a game changer. Now, not as much as some people might expect because I hadn't been flying as captain for a number of years. I was the senior training pilot, so when new pilots would come out to Africa, they would get in the left seat, I would sit in the right seat, they would do all the flying, and I would sit in the right seat and just give them criticism and comic relief all day long, trying to get them to learn how to fly and where to fly and how to handle the situations that we would be involved in. But it is a bit of a change for us, and I know that People continually ask, so what are you going to do now that you can't fly? Well, God did provide an opportunity for me to continue flying in a way because we assist Samaritan's Purse with the Samaritan's Purse Ministries in East Africa, Central Africa, and out in West Africa, in Liberia. And we'll be continuing to fly for Samaritan's Purse as a ministry of AIM to Samaritan's Purse. I'll go out and fly for them. And we'll also be staying on, Lord willing, for at least the next two years in Kenya, as mentors for the new families that have come out. We've had quite a few new families come out, and Bev and I will be helping them figure out how to do life in a very different area of the world from what they're used to. The, our Bible reading this morning, which is found in in your bulletin, and we're going to read. I'll read through this while you just look along with me together. But in John 21, there's this passage that I'm sure that everybody here is quite familiar with. But there's some really neat things in there that, that God has just been showing me about his love and about this experience that took place right here that I'd like to talk about. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that could be one of two things, right? That could be Jesus saying, do you love me More than these guys, you love me more than you love them. It could also be, do you love me more than these guys love me? We'll get back to that. He said to to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, son son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, "Son, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to be led around and others will dress you. And you will be going where you don't want to go. When we talk about how we love God, and I'd like for us to try to focus on that this morning. Not how God loves us. That's important and we're going to start right there not how we love others, and that's really important. That's what missions is all about. But I'd like to go even deeper and talk a little bit about how we love God. First of all, how does God love us? Well, he knows us. Even from the psalm just now, we're told that he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. Now, that's going back quite a bit. But he goes back even farther than that. In Ephesians 1, we're told that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world were laid. I mean, can we get our head around that? I can't. I can't figure out that God would actually have chosen me to be his child. Now, I don't know if you're, if you're a new earth or an old earth theorist. We're not going to get into those creation thoughts this morning. But it doesn't matter if it's 8,000 years or 8 billion years before God laid the foundation of the earth. He knew Jim. And that's a, an, an incredible thought, and it tells me something about who I am in Christ, his chosen, and who you are as well. He forgives us, he redeems us, he bought us with a price, that price is a bigger price than any of us could ever pay. He bought us with his son, and Jesus died for our sins. He adopts us, and... When we talk about love, love is one of the only two aspects of our Christianity that have an entire chapter dedicated to it. Love has 1 Corinthians 13 dedicated to it, talking all about it. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it ends with, and these three abide. So the the writer, Paul, is talking to the Corinthians, and he says, he's been telling them about the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of healing, the various gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then he ends this chapter with saying, and these three are going to remain. All of these other gifts are going to cease, but these three will remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I've always wondered about that. Wouldn't the greatest of these be faith? Because if we don't have faith, we wouldn't even know who we're loving. It seems, I've always wondered, why is that? And I read something by John Calvin not too long ago, which really brought some light to this. John Calvin, who was a, uh, he was a theologian back in the 1600s, he said, the very simple reason why love is the greatest gift is because faith and hope are something that we own, something within us, but love is what is acted out to others. If you think about that, there's a lot of truth there. I think he's right. In other words, faith and hope benefit the possessor, but love benefits all of those around us and I thought that's pretty cool what a great ending to that chapter but that's the warm fuzzy part that is the warm blanket on a cold winter's night thinking about how Jesus and how God loves us we take that on and and it makes us feel good but we need to go farther than that and we need to go out into the storm and that's where we are with with missions right Um, it doesn't matter whether it's here in America I am just amazed in looking through the, the morning brochure, uh, the, the bulletin, the number of people that are ministering in this church, even in this area. And indeed, for us over in Africa, even with our Africa friends, they look at what's going on in America, and they scratch their heads, like, we need to be going over to America as missionaries, because what's going on over there, it makes no sense whatsoever. I recently read Uh, Christian writer that was talking about the things that are going around us in this world that make no sense and he said when it doesn't make sense physically and it doesn't make sense scientifically then there's something spiritual going on and when I listen to the news I just have to keep on coming back to that there's something spiritual going on and and there's a battle here in the states for the souls and the hearts and the minds of the people You all have a huge role to play in what's going on around you today. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, we're told to be imitators of God, and we need to imitate God and the way he loves us, and that's how we should be loving other people. We're not going to dive deep into the love for other people either, but our love for others should imitate how God loves us, and it should also imitate how we love ourselves. In Matthew 22:39, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. And that might be something that we could, in, in my life, that might be something that I could get away with and say, okay, I can do that, I can check that box. But God goes even deeper than that. In Philippians, Jesus tells us to be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And that, there's the rub. There's where things start getting even more difficult. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. The pinnacle of the period, of, of the pinnacle of this subject is certainly how do we love God. And if you were to ask Mr. Google, how do we love God, you'd probably see lists in, in that search that would talk about we love God by tithing, we love God by, by giving him time, we love God by praying, by Bible studying, by going to church. And all of those things are correct, but they're only a facet of how we love God, the foundation of how we love God, is very easy to come up with, because Jesus talks about this very directly in Scripture. He says, this is how you love me. A number of years ago, there was a psychiatrist, and you may have heard of this, the five languages of love. In 1992, Gary Chapman wrote this book, The Five Languages of Love. Guys, don't start moaning. I'm not going to go deep here. I know the, the ladies here are all thinking, oh, good, we have something to talk about on the way home. But... Um, In those five languages of love, Gary Chapman talks about how we express love, the way that we understand people love us is through five different possibilities. One is touch. Somebody holds our hand, somebody hugs us, that's how some people feel loved. Other people feel loved by getting a gift, that makes them feel loved. Other people by having kind words spoken about them. Some others acts of service. None of these are actually what Jesus said are the ways that I feel loved. The ways that God felt, loved, and feels loved by us are very simple. He says very clearly in his scripture, this is how I know that you love me, if you obey me. In John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John 5, if you love me, obey my commands. John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Every single time that Jesus said, if you love me, he followed that up with an action. And that was the same as what was happening on the shores of the lake when the disciples were fishing and Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And hereby, this is 1 John 2, hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Anyone who says I know him and doesn't keep his commandments That person's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him for sure, the love of God is perfected. That word, that phrase, the love of God is perfected, isn't talking about in the person who keeps God's word, God's love is perfected. That's saying when we keep God's word, our love for God is perfected. There's a theme here, and it's very simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. Just like salvation is free, But it's very costly. This principle about love is simple, but it's not easy. Sacrifice can be a way sometimes to say, I love you. We think of sometimes fasting as a way of showing God our love maybe. And I just want to point out that that it's a slippery slope to slide down if we think that we're giving things to God that are going to please him, if those things aren't necessarily what he's asking from us at the moment. We see in 1 Samuel, there's that really interesting story where Saul goes to battle, he, he defeats the enemy, and afterwards, Samuel comes along to congratulate him, and he says, hey, what's that I hear in the background? And, and Saul says, well, that's the sheep that I didn't kill, that's the cattle that I didn't kill. And Samuel said, didn't God tell you to kill everything? And, and Saul says, yeah, but I kept the very best things so that I could sacrifice them to God. I can show my obedience and my love for God by sacrificing things to God. And Samuel said, you've just lost your kingdom. Because that's not, that is not what God asked you to do. God asked you to do a very specific thing, and you're trying to show your love to God in a way that he didn't ask you to do. And because of that, you will no longer be king when God removes the kingdom from you because of this that you have just done. And Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. One of the greatest failures in, failures in our ability to love others is how we use our words. And James, the brother of, half-brother of Jesus, points this out in James quite clearly, that it's how we use our words that we can bless people or curse people. One of the best ways that we can end up obeying God is by showing our love for other people by how we use our words. And Peter, I'm sorry, uh, John goes on to say that as we use our, our, our tongue, our tongue can be an unquenchable fire. It can hurt people so badly. A friend of mine works for a cargo outfit and he was in the safety area, he was in the safety management system in this airline. And I asked Bob a few years ago, so what are you doing these days? And he said, well, I'm in charge of making sure that lithium ion batteries don't explode in airplanes. And I said, oh, what are you doing with it there? He said, well, we just had a demonstration which didn't go too well, so we're still working on this. And the demonstration was, we had a container that was full of lithium batteries, and we would heat up one of the batteries, and when that battery got hot enough, it would start heating up the other batteries, and the fire would spread within the container. And as it started spreading, our dispersant would go out, and it would put out the fire. But it didn't go all that well. We had the Federal Aviation Administration there with us. I had my my bosses and the VIPs from the airline there and we had this container set up out in the field and we were going to show how well this worked and we heated up one of the batteries and it started this chain reaction within the container and just as the disbursement was supposed to blow the fire out, the entire container blew up in front of everybody. So I asked him a couple of years later, what are you doing now? And he said, well, now we're using a different thing. We're using a dry sprinkler potassium aerosol. Now, that's not something that you need to write in the margins of your Bible. (laughs) But I said, what's different there? He said, well, with the dry potassium aerosol, when that hits the fire, it doesn't just put the fire out, but it changes the chemical reaction in terms of what is being done within the batteries. So the batteries will no longer continue to get hot and give off oxygen. And I thought, man, that's a good illustration of how we need to be able to use our words. We need to be able to use our words around others in a way that doesn't just stop the argument, but in a way that changes their perspective to be more Christ-like. And we need to pray the same thing upon ourselves, that we would have that Christ-like perspective in our life, too, that would allow us to be able to use our tongues in that way. I want to just close with saying that there are two special gifts that God wants to give us to be able to love him. How to obey? we obey God. Could we ever obey God the way he wants to be obeyed in a perfect way? Could we ever love him in a perfect way? This is what was happening when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these? I love this passage because it shows something about what Peter had learned in just the the few days since Jesus died to where he's being interviewed here in front of other people. Remember, just before Christ died, He said, I'm going somewhere that none of you are going to be able to come with me. And Peter said, Jesus, if if everybody else here leaves you, I will never leave you. If everybody else here disowns you, I will never leave you. And here Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? I think that he was saying not just do you love me more than these other guys, but do you love me more than these other guys love me? Peter, do you love me? Because he already said, God, I love you more than all of these other guys, and I will never leave you. And Jesus here is asking him again, do you love me more than these? But Peter doesn't say, yes, I do love you more than these. Because Jesus was asking him with, there's two words that are being talked about here. You've heard these sermons probably before, pardon me, about what word Jesus was using. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me with a divine love? That's the word agape. Peter, do you love me with a divine love more than these other guys? And Peter didn't say, yes, Lord, I do love you with a divine love. Peter realized, I think, at that point that he could never love with the same divine love with which he was loved by Jesus. So he came back to Jesus and he said, I love you with a brotherly love. And Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me with a divine love? And Peter said, I love you as much as is humanly possible with a divine love. Jesus was testing Peter to say, could you love me the way I love you? And Peter was saying, no, but I will continue trying. I love you as much as is humanly possible. And I'm amazed that Peter had been the changed man and knew himself that well, that he would answer Jesus like that. The third time Jesus asked, he said, Peter, do you love me with a brotherly love? And Peter said, of course, you know all things. You know I love you with a brotherly love. There's two things that will make it possible for us to love Jesus the way he wants to be loved. The one is to have wisdom. We can pray for wisdom, and this is one of the promises in Scripture that we will be blessed with wisdom. There's two things that we need, and it's wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, neither one of those have anything to do with spiritual gifting, but they have everything to do with a spiritual gift that God gives us through wisdom and through giving us his Holy Spirit. In James, we're told by James that if any of you lacks wisdom, you can pray to the Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father will give you wisdom. That is an absolutely marvelous promise that we know is ironclad and we can take it to the bank. God is going to give us wisdom. But it's a dangerous thing to ask for wisdom and then not be able to follow that wisdom. In fact. Peter and James warn us that if you're a teacher and you know these things and you don't do these things, you will be judged more harshly. If we have the wisdom and know what to do, we're still not going to be able to do those things if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter realized. Peter realized that I could never say back to Jesus, I love you with a divine love, because Peter had just seen what a divine love looks like. He had just seen the Christ, his Savior, dying on a cross for his sins, And forgiving all of those around him peter knew what divine love looked like and it was something that i'm sure he wanted to try to attain but he knew that he didn't have the power to be able to do that and i would say that that should be our ideal to love as god loved us but it's something that we will always be trying to strive for if we're living in his will and we won't attain that until we're perfect someday but god gives us the holy spirit as well And there's this great passage in in a number of portions of Scripture where Jesus talks about if you, not being perfect fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, like if your son comes to you and says, Dad, I need a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? No. If your son comes to you and says, uh, Dad, I need an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No. If he comes to you and asks for, what was the other one? Um what was the third one? I had it written down here, but I'm, I've gone way off script. Uh, if he, he asked you for the other one, and uh, are you going to give a snake? What was it? A fish. A fish and a snake. I should have remembered that one. But case in point about my memory, okay? Um, so God wants us to give the Holy Spirit. Now there's this great passage in Acts 6 and I'm not going to go preaching on that. Bev said, don't don't bring Acts 6 in because you always get lost down that trail. But at the beginning of Acts 6, there were seven men who were appointed as basically the first deacons. And they were chosen on two things. Were they full of the Holy Spirit and were they full of wisdom? And I am constantly reminding myself that I can do anything in Christ if I appropriate those two things that God wants to give me, Holy Spirit, and be full of wisdom. I had a moment as a pilot just a short time ago in kenya and there have been many moments but this was just a couple of years ago and it was one of those moments where it was uh, i'm not sure where i'm going to end up in the next 10 minutes moment as a pilot i was taking off with a load of passengers we were at a very high airstrip it was a hot day we had a full load at maximum weight on the airplane it was actually two of our other crew members and their families and myself and we got rolling down the runway <laughs> Just as we rotated, the engines started shuddering and, and running very bad. I glanced down at the gauges and we had three cylinders that had suddenly shot up in, into the red in their temperature. And we didn't know what was happening. All we knew was that we had lost most of the power to be able to climb. And just at the end of the runway, there were some power lines off in the distance, and I thought, I don't even know if we're going to make it over that. If we made it over those power lines, there was a swamp, and at the end of the swamp, there was a forest. And it didn't look good. Immediately I I reached up, I I pressed our SOS button on the airplane which sends out a signal and starts calling people on the phone saying that we're having an emergency and there's a good chance that we're going to probably crash. And the pilot that was in the left seat continued to fly the airplane and I was talking to him and as, as we were very heavy and getting close to the ground, he started kind of pulling back on the controls. Now, those of you that, that are pilots or have this aviation knowledge, I know Jerry Ortu would know that's not what you want to do when you're slow, you don't want to start pulling back. And I held my hand against the yoke and I said, just hold 65, hold 65. That's our best climb speed, we don't want to lose 65. We, I looked off to, the, to my left and there were some trees there, but there was an opening in the trees. So I said, let's just take a really slow curve to the left. So I told him, give me a 20 degree turn to the left. Hold 65. Every time he started going a little bit slower because we were getting to the, to the terrain, I said, you can't do that. You don't want to do that, just hold 65. We came around and we, we managed to turn and we made it back to the airstrip that we took off from and landed at the airstrip. And it was one of those situations where training made a big difference. And I'd like to just close by leaving you with this. As a pilot, we're always taking check rides. As a pilot, like I've got manuals for all of the airplanes that I fly on the iPad. When I fly those airplanes, I get out of one airplane and get into another one, I, I read about how to fly that airplane. We have checklists that we use that tell us what to do when things are going well and what to do when things aren't going well. And we don't just rely on the manuals and the knowledge and the checklists, but then we go out and we do training. So myself, as the senior check pilot in AIM Air, I would get one of, one of our pilots, even a, our experienced pilots in the left seat of the airplane, and we would go out for an hour and a half and I would, give him as many problems as the airplane, in the airplane as I could. I would pull circuit breakers, I would fail instruments, I would pull the engine and tell him you have an engine failure and see if he could make it to a runway, to land at the runway. You don't have your flaps to use, you, you can't use this airspeed, you have a flat tire. And we'd practice all of these things constantly and go through them in our heads so that when it happens to us we would know what to do. And God put me in aviation because aviation is so rich in metaphors for the Christian life, I think. In the Christian life, we need to constantly be looking at the manuals. We have scripture. There's so many people that don't have scripture, and we do. We need to be practicing what is going to go wrong. We need to be talking about things that can go wrong in our lives as Christians, and that's men's groups, that's evening groups, Bible studies, prayer time together, and then we need to go out, and we need to do it. It's not just enough to know what to do, but we have to go out there and bring it to the street. And I'm so encouraged that that's what you all are doing one last thing, when we talk about spreading the Word of God, I want to thank Calvary Church. Uh, about three years ago, Thelma had a VBS project that you all did, and that project was to buy 25 of these treasures. These treasures are little solar-powered units that have a solar panel on one side and some controls on the other side. They have the Bible, in. there's about 4,000 different languages, I think, that this group has the Bible in. And we got these... And distributed them through a number of different areas throughout northern Kenya northern Sudan South Sudan and also Central Africa Republic and every one of these they figure reaches about 70 people thanks very much for letting us be able to bring the gospel to the 1400 people that you all paid for as we distributed those things on your behalf I'd like to just close with one verse here and as we as we think about our life in Christ Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that I love you and you love one another as I have loved you. My friends, do as I command. Thank you.